Thanks for tuning in to Gray Avenue Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and points you closer to Jesus as you daily strive to seek Him in all that you do. May God bless you. John chapter 8, y'all there? Go ahead and stand if you're there. John chapter 8. We're back in the the Gospel of John, um, and we are only going to go over two verses. Three, excuse me. Starting in verse 12. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And as we get into it this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts. God, help us to focus on you in this moment. Whatever type of week that we've had, Lord, help us to put it behind us and focus in on this moment. Lord, I pray that you would minister to each and every heart in a profound way, that they would walk out of the doors after our time in your word, transformed, their mind being renewed. God, in a passion and enthusiasm to follow you even more than they were before. And so, Lord, we give you all the glory, all the praise for what you're going to do this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You all can be uh, seated. So, it's the middle of the night, right? And you have to go on that obligatory bathroom break. That one that you try to hold it through the night because you don't want to get up because you're sleeping so well. Anybody been there before? You just want to stay in bed. You, you, it's 2.30 in the morning. I got a few hours to sleep. I can wait. But your body is telling you otherwise, so you get up. And have, you, have any of you ever done this? You don't turn on the lights, but you stick out your hands. Make sure you're feeling everywhere right. So you don't run into anything. And, and you know your house pretty well, and so you're able to navigate to the bathroom all right. But on the way back, you miscalculate where your bed is. And bam, you stub your toe. Anybody ever enjoy that feeling? You enjoy that feeling of stubbing your toe. You're a bunch of weird people. What is going on? Goodness gracious. But let me ask you a question. If you would have turned the light on, would it have been a different story? More than likely, yes. You would have probably made it to your bed without stubbing your toe and almost losing your religion, right? Let that sink in for a minute, okay? I'm telling you, please go have her coffee. It'll wake you guys up. Come on. But a recap of where we've been in the Gospel of John. John chapter 8, we've looked at the first uh, 11 verses, right? And we see that the Pharisees and scribes bring this adulterous woman before Jesus. And these Pharisees and scribes say, well, she was caught in the act of adultery. So the only logical thing, according to the law, is to stone her. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't say a word. He gets down in front of them all and starts writing in the sand. Who knows what he was writing, but he was writing in the sand. And one by one, starting with the oldest, 
this group of Pharisees and scribes started to trickle off. And Jesus met with this adulterous woman who should have, by law, been stoned to death. But what does Jesus do? He says, where are your accusers? And her response is, nowhere, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And mind you, in this setting, Jesus is in the temple teaching while the uh, Pharisees and scribes bring this adulterous woman to Jesus. In the middle of his teaching, Jesus doesn't say, hold on, let me finish my teaching. We'll deal with this afterwards. I got more important things to handle right now. No, he gets right into the middle of that mess. And maybe you're in a mess this morning, and I can encourage you with this, if I can encourage you with this, Jesus will get into the middle of your mess. No matter what it is, no mess is too messy for Jesus. Amen? And so Jesus is in the temple. And as he's in the temple, verse 12, he says this. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, if anything, the Pharisees and the scribes were the ones walking in the dark, right? Stubbing their toe on their bed on, their way, on the way back from the bathroom. It was almost as if Jesus was ready to pull out a flashlight for a sermon illustration and say, Hey guys, this is what you need when you're in the dark, is a light. And Jesus, Jesus goes on to say, I am the light of the world. Not just a light, a small little light, but the light of the world, the light that you need. And perhaps Jesus was teaching this as the sun was rising. He's in the temple and the sun is rising and he could have been alluding to the fact, well, he was alluding to the fact that he is the light of life. But listen to this. The Jews viewed the sun as a symbol of Jehovah God. And so as Jesus was making this claim, this I am statement of I am the light of the world with the sun rising and the Jews knowing that their view of the sun symbolized Jehovah God, Jesus was ultimately making himself out to be God. Now listen, without the S-U-N, there would be no life. But listen to this, without the S-O-N, there is no life. Without the S-U-N, there is no light. And without the S-O-N, there is no light. And Jesus is saying in this passage, in me, you have all that you need. When you're in the dark, I am the light that you need. And then he goes on to say, Whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, my kids, when they go into a dark room, right, their first thing they look for is the what? The light switch, right? And so they find the light switch, and what happens to the room? If dad changes the light bulb out and everything's working, what happens to the room? It's not a trick question, people. There's light, right? And my kids go on and they go in and they're not afraid of the dark anymore. They're in the room. They're doing whatever they're doing. Well, let me ask you this question. What is your room like this morning? What is your life like this morning? Is there darkness? And are you wondering when you'll be able to see in your room? 
in your life. See, if you're an unbeliever this morning, you'll be walking in the dark until you come to Jesus and you proclaim him as Lord and Savior. You will be walking in the dark until you do that. But uh, Isaiah 9, 2, I love this verse. It says, the people who walked in darkness. How many of you have ever walked in darkness? Not, not darkness without the light, but spiritual darkness. Have you, have you been there? We've all probably been there. If you look back at the way you used to live, you can probably see how dark your life was. But as you come to Jesus, he lights your life up. It says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Anybody ever seen a great light? Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So if you're a believer, listen, there's no doubt that some seasons in our life feel pretty dark. Sometimes it feels like even though you're walking in Jesus in the light, it still seems dark. Maybe the death of a loved one you're grieving over has caused this cloud to almost come over you. Or, or your current health situation, or a relational issue, or COVID-19. It's caused you just to get into this deep darkness. Whatever you're going through, maybe you feel like you're in a dark room. But listen, can I tell you this? God does some of his best work in the dark rooms of our life. It's in those moments where we can't figure out if light is going to shine through, that God seems to mature us and mold us and shape us. And yeah, it hurts sometimes, but you know what? God is doing a work that he would not do even if we were walking in the brightest of light. Sometimes we need those dark seasons in order for us to really truly rely on Jesus. Job 23, verse 10. If you're familiar with the story of Job, Job went through a lot of dark rooms, so to speak. Right? I, I mean, his kids get wiped out. His livestock gets wiped out. Everything he had except his wife who told Job, why don't you just curse God and die? Everything but his wife was wiped out. But he makes this statement in Job 23.10. He says, but he knows the way that I take when he has tried me. I shall come out as gold. God knows what you're going through. He knows what dark room you're in this morning. And there is a purpose for what you're going through. Don't think that it's just to walk through it and, and not see any fruit come out of it. The reason you're going through this dark season, whatever dark season it might be, is because there's a purpose for it. To refine you. To make you more like Jesus. To build character. And to show you, ultimately, that God is in control. Amen? So Jesus is saying this. Follow me. And when you do, you will have the light of life. I love what uh, commentator David Guzik said. He said, Jesus, being the light of the world, brings light to those who follow him. And when we follow him, we stay in the light and do not walk in darkness. Verse 13 goes on to say, So the Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So remember in the wilderness years, the Israelites were wandering, and during those years they had this tabernacle, and, and it was lit. It, it was the brightest thing in, not, not the lit words that the millennials use. If, only you two will get that. <laughs> um, 
but it was bright. It, 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 was, it was glorious. The Shekinah glory of God was upon this tabernacle, and the temple was also filled with the glory of God. But the people chose to walk in darkness. They would cry out to the Lord. They would say, Lord, we need you, we need you, we need you. And, and as soon as God showed up, even with manna and even with the things that they needed, they would still eventually rebel and turn their backs against God. Right, And so every time the people were choosing to walk in darkness, and as they did, the glory of the Lord departed from their presence. They had to physically light candles now, to physically trim candles, just to brighten up the place, because the light was gone, the glory of God departed. Now imagine with me for a moment, Jesus is standing in this temple. Right? And, and, and to light up the temple, obviously, I just stated that there was a bunch of candles around. They had to light and trim and, and do everything that you have to do to, to, to take care of candles, whatever that entails. Um, but imagine with me Jesus standing there, surrounded by these candles, and he's making this statement, saying, I am the light of the world. And he's standing in front of one of these candlesticks as he says that. And he says, I'm the light of the world. And no doubt in my mind as he's saying this, he has a huge smile on his face. And his arms are outstretched, not saying this arrogantly or, or with a huge ego, but telling them the truth. Listen, you're lighting these candles that will one day go out. You're going to have to keep maintaining them, taking care of them. But listen, I am the light of the world that never goes out. You guys hear that too, don't you? <laughs> Might have to switch mics. And so, in this verse, verse 13, Jesus is being disputed by the Pharisees. The Pharisees are rejecting him as the light of the world, and they're questioning him. They're, they're saying, your testimony can't be true. You, 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 can't, you can't say this. They disputed the truth that Jesus was and is the glory of God. They rejected him, questioned him, and finally extinguished him. And Jesus here gives a threefold reason to why his testimony is true. And we're only going to look at the first reason this morning, but it's found in verse 14. It says, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and I know where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. So point number one, our, our reason number one, is he knew where he came from and where he was going. And that being said, because of those two truths that Jesus knew, he knew himself. He knew that he could, he could call himself God. Let me ask you three questions, and I'm going to do my best to answer them this morning. But question number one, do you know where you came from? Okay, now... Don't get smart with me here. I know you're thinking in your mind, yeah, I live right down the street, or yeah, I remember how I was born. I mean, I, come on, I know where I came from. Not asking that. Okay, how about the next question? Do you know where you're going? In your minds right now, it's Father's Day, and you might have in your mind, yep, we're going to go eat at In-N-Out. Right, Cliff? 
You know exactly where you're going. You know exactly how you're going to get. I'm not talking about that. Last one, do you know who you are? Well, yeah. My name's Philip. I was on every news station in the world this week, right? I'm not talking about that. Listen, the first question, do you know where you came from? Scientists are still trying to figure that one out. They're trying to come up with some crazy type of theory that we just happened with the Big Bang, right? But I've always heard it said that if you have a Big Bang, you, you have to have a Big Banger, right? And that being God, right? It, it wasn't just this random explosion and then all of a sudden all this gunk crawled up and there was Philip. I'm picking on you today. If I don't, who else will? <laughs> but evolution is, is trying to throw the fact that God created us under the rug. But listen to Psalm 139, verse 13 through 16. It says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. And my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. So listen, can I just clear the air? Science points to God. Science points to the fact that God is truth. I want to read you something that Franklin Graham wrote about uh, all this kind of stuff that's going on in our our world today, but he said this week, Dr. Anthony uh, Fauci, however you say his last name, made the statement that science is truth. Really, I would beg to differ. Science may be a quest for truth, but it is certainly fallible. I'm not against science, of course, but we know that scientists often disagree. As an example, the early Imperial College. Uh, London coronavirus model has since proven wrong and disputes continue today between the experts about the model used more recently in the U.S. And man did not love this. Ready for this? And man did not evolve from apes or tadpoles, as many scientists say. That's just not true. God created man and woman as the Bible says. Can I get a good amen for that? If America has an anti-science bias, as the doctor said in his interview, it might be because we aren't sure whether to trust those who are presenting their science to us. Dr. Fauci first told the American people that they didn't need to wear face masks, then reversed himself to say that we did. Then he revealed the reason that he said that initially was because there was a shortage of face masks. So the facts change to avoid a run on face masks? That's not a good step toward building trust. Listen, he says, science isn't truth. God is. Amen? Come on. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, I hope that everyone will come to know the truth. Jesus Christ, 
who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This truth can change your life for eternity. Listen, science points to God creating you. You are not an accident. You were designed by God and for God. So let me ask you this. Do you know where you came from now? Let me ask you the second question. Do you know where you're going? Not in and out. Lord, thank you just for your word and, and how we can dive into it. And even in moments like this, Lord, you're still in control. And Lord, we just lift up uh, Jessica right now, and I pray that uh, you would just help her to gain stability, Lord, and that you would help her uh, just to uh, get traction, whatever she needs. And Lord, we thank you uh, for being in control of every circumstance and situation. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. But do you know where you're going? Jesus knew he would go back to the Father. Right? Jesus descended, and then he is going to ascend. Right? He's going back up. He knew that even though he was going to suffer for the world, he would be seated at the right hand of the Father. Let me ask you this question. If you were to die today, statistics of death are amazing. Right? Ten out of ten people die. Would you be confident telling you, Gina's back there with coffee, ready, Would you be confident that you were going to heaven? If you were to die today, would you be confident that you were going to heaven? See, in this season, uh, these questions I ask point to something. It's a search for identity. And many people in this season are searching for their, their identity. And if Jesus found his identity in the Father, we too can find our identity in him as well. Identity is who you are, the way you think about yourself, and the way you are viewed by the world around you. So who are you to Jesus? You are precious. You are loved. You're accepted and you're forgiven. When you are in Christ, it's yours. The way you think about uh, your, the way you think about yourself is, is not decided by the world, okay? but by the God who made you. Now, we have to understand that we cannot let the world shape our thinking of ourselves. That's a dangerous place to be because that'll lead you to depression. The world likes you when you do well, right? When you perform outstanding and you've got all your ducks in a row and the world is just fond of you. You're a huge, huge sensation because you've got everything in line. But what happens when you don't perform so well? It's judgment all over you, right? The world starts looking at you like, whoa, they don't have their, their stuff together. I need to see perfection. I need to see them, them you know, dotting every I and crossing every T. And soon you'll begin to perform in a way that says, I want the world to like me. I want to I act a certain way. I want to dress a certain way. I want to think a certain way. I, I want to impress the world around me. Your identity is not found in what the world thinks of you. Your identity is found in what Jesus thinks of you. And he knows this he knows because of the the sacrifice that he made for you he knows this that you are loved 
Okay, that you are precious and that you are his prized possession. So listen, knowing who you are starts with knowing where you came from and knowing where you are going. Jesus was saying, because I know these things, because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, I know that my testimony is true. If you look in the text, Jesus didn't say, I think. He said, what? I He said, I, yeah. He says, I know this to be true because I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. And that same confidence that Jesus had can be yours today. Listen, Jesus would eventually be extinguished, but only for a short time. He died on the cross so you could be forgiven of your sins. But he didn't just stay in that tomb. He got up again. He defeated death. He, he, he robbed the grave, right? He, the grave thought that it had a hold on Jesus. But Jesus had another idea. And the Bible says this, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Meaning when you follow Jesus, not the idea of him, not just the thought of him, but when you put your all into following Jesus, you won't have to walk in the dark. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word. We thank you that that it is alive and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, it's able to get into the places of our hearts that nothing else can. Lord, uh, some of us in here this morning may feel like that woman in John 8 where her accusers brought her before Jesus and said, look at all that she's done. How, 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 could, how could you forgive that? Some of us may feel like this morning because of all that we've done, even in the, the past, how could you forgive us for what we've done? Lord, when we turn to your word, when we turn to the truth, we see that your forgiveness never runs out. It never runs dry. Lord, it's always there. Lord, we don't deserve your forgiveness. But you call that grace. Lord, I pray for those in here this morning and those watching on the live stream that as we enter into this time of reflection, just to think about who we are in you. And, and maybe we're not even in you yet. Maybe we need to take this time to, to get real before you. Maybe we've been deceiving ourselves, thinking that just because we read the Bible every morning that we have a relationship with you. Or just because we come to church on Sundays, we have a relationship with you. Or because we've been born in America, that makes us an automatic Christian, an automatic follower of Jesus. Lord, help us not to be deceived by our own thinking. God, I pray that 
you would speak to hearts in this moment, that they would get raw and real with you, that we would do that. Lord, we thank you for your grace upon our lives. We ask that you would be magnified through us, that you would empty us of ourselves and fill us up with more and more of you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.